Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, your co-hosts. And we have a special guest with us today. That's Joe Evangelisti. How are you this morning? I'm fantastic. How are you? Great. And Joe, I should have asked you if I'm spelled or if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Is that right? You were spot on. First Love time. It. Good job. Love it. Awesome. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show today. Now, Joe, from what I know about you, this is going to be an excellent conversation because you not only have built a successful eight-figure business or multiple of them yourself, you also are helping hundreds of business owners to really cross that seven, eight, and even nine-figure mark in their business. And so I'd love to just talk with you about what that means. I'm going to give you give a little introduction for somebody who has not heard of Joe Evangelisti before. And so he is a high-performance coach. He has over 5,000 hours of coaching experience under his belt. And so we're going to learn from that experience today. He's worked with clients all over the U.S., including high-level real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and business professionals, professionals all coming to him for one reason, life-changing transformation. So in addition to coaching, Joe is running three successful businesses in digital marketing, wholesale real estate, and self-storage development spaces. So Joe, it's going to be a very exciting conversation. How are you doing this morning? Fantastic. I'm great. I'm ready to go. Awesome. So Joe, why don't you go ahead and take us into your backstory a little bit? How did you get started in not only the business space, but real estate marketing? I mean, I can definitely see anyone who's in business also is in marketing, so I can see that. But how did you lead from the very beginning to now being able to coach other people? All right. The very beginning, I'll give you the, I'll give you the clip notes version of the very beginning, but I started out in construction. My whole life has been construction. My dad was the, really the first entrepreneur in our, in our family. He was a, um, a drywall contractor when I was, you know, when I was a little, little kid turned into a general contractor. So my whole life as a, as a child, my parents were divorced. I would spend weekends with my dad. I would walk on construction sites. And so I had construction in my blood, um, you know, growing up and as a teenager, learning how to do the trades and learning how to do carpentry and you know, uh, drywall, things like that. And then uh, I was lucky enough, went right out of high school, actually not right out of high school, I did a semester of college before I decided I didn't like that. But right after that, I went into uh, the US Navy and uh, the Navy actually has a, a, a battalion of what they call construction battalions or CBs. And most mm-hmm. people don't even know what the CBs are, right? But I actually was able to do construction um, in the Navy. I was actually go, able to go build stuff um, be a builder and, uh, and do the stuff I've always loved to do and do it while serving with the Navy never seeing ships or boats or the ocean or any of that kind of stuff, right? We go everywhere by air, we land in the land, uh, we build on land. And uh, so I, I got to kind of live out my dream of not only serving my country and, uh, and, and serving the military, but also being in construction the whole time. And, um, you know, That's shortly awesome. after that, that was it. Got with, I had the entrepreneurial bug. I knew I wanted to follow my dad's footsteps. I knew I wanted to kind of get into things. And, you know, I think when you see a successful entrepreneur, you know, grind and hustle and build their business over the course of your lifetime. And that's your hero. And that's who you aspire to be. You also think, well, I want to do that, but I want to do it better, right? Because we're always cocky when we're young and we're trying to figure that out. So I had these great, you know, things to see and and envision, but also was constantly thinking, well, how can we make it more effective? How can we make it scalable? How can we do it 
you know, a little bit better. And so, um, so that's what we did. And, and, you know, I was lucky I got into uh, real estate in, in the year 2007, which a lot nice. of people who were in real estate back then <laughs> realized it was kind of a weird year to get involved in it. But um, it taught me a lot because, you know, we thought we were going to hit the ground and, and flip, flip, you know, dozens of houses and make tons of money. And, 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 it, and it couldn't have happened any differently, right? I, I ended up buying the properties with my own cash and, and putting money down with the bank. And before we knew it, we were three, four deals into it. And uh, the market just got soft and came out from underneath of us. And by September of 08, everything, you know, crashed in front of us. And it was a real eye opener. We had to learn how to course correct and pivot and, uh, and be something different. So, you know, at that point, I'm a landlord and never planned on being a landlord. And, but we were able to stabilize the properties. We were able to get them refinanced. We were able to get everything but our own money out. And so, you know, at that point we had to do some more, more lessons, more, more learning, more, more figuring it out. And so, you know, I think early on in my career, the first five, six years, you know, um, it was just a matter of putting all of my time and, and effort into hustling and grinding and figuring it out until, until I nearly, you know, had a burnout in my early thirties and, mm. you know, um, realized that, Hey, this isn't the way to do it. And there's gotta be a better way. And that's really the, 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 the shift that created for me to, to turn around and, Start to create the businesses we have today. So, so Joe, what I, we've had, we have this conversation with a lot of people, and um, I have to, I have to do a couple of dis- disclaimers, disclosures right now, because um, yeah. the SEC gets upset about this. But I'm also a financial advisor, and none of what I'm about to say is is advice. It's only for educational purposes. But uh, we yeah. we actually represent both uh, mostly non traded REITs. Uh, and some traded REITs. And what I found when I'm on our due diligence committee to decide, and we do a lot of other alternatives, not just REITs. What I found is that when I'm evaluating a partnership, I of course, I look at the numbers. But what I really evaluate is are the partners and the equity that they have in those positions. Because when things are going to go bad and there's always going to be times where they go bad. What you really have to do is evaluate with whether those people have the intelligence, the wisdom, the fortitude to get through that particular situation. So what are some of those characteristics that you see in yourself and the other people that you have been involved with and, and that you coach? Yeah, I think that the characteristic that stands out the most is just the, the willingness to not quit. I think you hit the nail on the head, right? I think the best operators are the ones that just don't give up, right? Because th- there's always going to be that time where you feel like you're at the absolute bottom. You know, I was at a mastermind event last week and, um, you know, one of the guys who was a guest there was actually listening to me speak. He got on the st- stage and told his story. And his story was, hey, look, 10 years ago, I was bankrupt. Almost 10 years ago to the month, January of, of, of 11, he filed bankruptcy. This year, he did $400 million in, in, uh, in revenue in his, mm-hmm. in his brand new business, right? So I think that the, the characteristic that I see in, in real winners is the fact that they just don't ever stop, right? They don't ever give up. They just keep pushing no matter how bad things are. And uh, you can imagine, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm getting a little choked up myself because we've all been in like really, really terrible spots. You know what I mean? But you just can't stop. Right. So when you stop, that's when you fail. Mm -hmm. Everything else is just a learning curve. Everything else is just, you know, something that you're going to stack up and say, okay, I've been there. I've done that. I've been through this. I'm sure I can handle that. And I think that's what peak performers do differently. 
And, and uh, is that, do you believe that's something that you can teach or is that something that in your coaching program that maybe you don't teach, but you help people recognize that in themselves? Yeah, I look at my one of my strong, unique abilities is the ability to get people to recognize not only their authenticity, but the value they bring. Right. I think that the, the challenge that so many entrepreneurs have is they're trying to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. They're trying to be somebody they're not. And so when you can recognize your own brand, your own authenticity, what your own value is, what you bring to the table, what is the byproduct of that? But the byproduct of that is confidence, Mm -hmm. right? So when people give up, what they're lacking is confidence. Mm -hmm. So what a great coach does is not only help people maintain their confidence in the worst of times, but also help them maintain their identity when it comes to recognizing who they are, right? And stop trying to be somebody else because, you know, you're, you know, investor, read, whatever it looks like. People know that. When you're looking at the operator, you can tell someone who's fake, oh, yeah. right? But you can tell someone who's authentic. And that's what's important, I think. Joe, I, I, uh, I brought this up many times on the program. Um, I'm a biology major, but, and so I'm human behavior is kind of, you know, one of the things that I really like. You know, we are taught this when I'm not taught, this is an eight in us to recognize BS. You know, totally. Yeah. Because as a young child, as we're holding a young child, they can't communicate, but they can see facial expressions. They can feel energy of a yep. person. So, and you know, we get it from other animals. You know, dogs are a great example of that. They they know they know bad people before we know bad people. And yep. so, people are afraid all the time to be vulnerable and talk about their weaknesses. But people, that is the weakness and people recognize that. I believe you. Yeah, I really believe that your vulnerability is your superpower. And people don't realize that until they get in front of, you know, a small group or a medium group and you you start, you know, talking about what you're weak. And and all of a sudden what happens, Bruce? Everybody relates, Mm -hmm. right? They all start going, I do that. Oh, yeah, that's me too, right? So all this fear and doubt and anxiety and stress, it's recognizing what it is that's driving it that's so important, right? A lot of times we're driving it for ourselves. It's not the outside influence that's driving it. It's it's up here, Mm -hmm. right? So being able to reprogram, okay, what's happening to me in that moment? Why am I having this fear? Why am I having this doubt? Is it because I'm trying to be somebody else and I'm not? Or is it because I'm trying to influence other people when I really should be working on myself. Mm, that's very, very interesting. And I think uh, anyone who's grown in business or built anything under them is recognizing what you're saying is true right now, because there's that true voice that comes out when you're really being yourself. And there's that trying to do something and trying to follow someone else's model or trying to do things exactly like someone else that is unsuccessful and feels stilted and frustrating and robotic and doesn't produce results. So, hundred percent. Ah, this is this is awesome. So, so take us then from you not only figured out how to course correct and pivot through two thousand eight. You then were able to go on to build businesses that you have today. What do you think was the primary shift for you personally that allowed you to continue on that path? Was it just not giving up, or was there something else there? Well, so my real aha moment was, you know, sometime midway through that building phase when I had probably six, seven different businesses. And I mean, I was bartending at nights. I, w- I was, I was, I had a BPO business. I had a brokerage business. I was flipping houses. I, you know, I was everything to everybody. 
And, you know, I was missing things, right? I was missing the family barbecues. I was calling my wife and telling her I couldn't be home for dinner. And at that time, I had two very little girls. I had a new, newer wife, right? You know, a new mortgage, new house. And, you know, my, my epiphany moment was one of these nights where it was six o'clock and I, and I, call, I called literally at dinner. Like, it's dinner's on the table. Hey, I'm not going to be home. Mm. And then I got home and I kissed my girls to, you know, at, at, at 9.30 at night, they were already asleep. And I laid in my head in bed and I thought to myself, what the heck just happened, right? What did I do for the last 14 hours? And, and it occurred to me, what happened was I didn't get any work done from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., right? I was chasing, I was putting out fires, I was, I was busy, right? But I wasn't productive. And then what happened was once I found some quiet space, I did everything I had to do between six and nine. And so that was like my aha moment, like, holy crap, I'm throwing away my life I'm not being a great father. I'm not being a good husband. I'm missing my family. I'm I'm not building relationships. By the way, I was taking care of myself like crap, mm-hmm. right? I'm eating like crap. I'm getting takeout. I'm getting cheesesteaks delivered to the office because I won't leave my cubicle, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm not going to the gym. I'm not hydrating properly. There's all these things that I'm just not doing for myself. And I thought to myself, I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not taking care of others. What, who am I taking care of? What's the point of this? And that's when it all kind of culminated to me and I realized if I can be that productive in three hours, why do I take 14 hours to do it? Mm-hmm. Right. Because now I'm missing out on my family. And, and really it took me, you know, reaching out to some mentors and coaches and really getting the, you know, what is it, what does a productive workday look like? And that's what started to help me dial things in. And, you know, what I, what I call create decades and turn them into days, right? So many people, we go through these decades in our life where it's like you wake up 10 years later and you're like, what did I accomplish? Right. And the secret behind it is these, these fires, these busy people that are always patting themselves on the back. They're like, I was so busy today. Mm-hmm. They're secret arsonists, right? They're behind the building and they're lighting it on fire. So the next day they can come to work and they can put it all out. Right. And they can say they did a great job. Mm-hmm. But busy does not necessarily mean productive. And I think it's the biggest challenge a lot of people face. They feel like they're busy, but they're not actually moving the needle. They're not getting any closer to their goals. Mm -hmm. And so when we really boil it down to what we call high gain activities and high income activities, we can start to pay attention to where's my time best spent. Now, if I spend all my time or at least 80% of my time there, the rest of my time is mine. Mm -hmm. I can take my kids to soccer games. I can go play golf if I want. I can go shooting with my buddies or going you know, go on the boat, you know, and I can enjoy myself because I did the important stuff first. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's what's the disconnect for a lot of peak performers. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds a lot like, uh, uh, one of my mentors, Dan Sullivan from strategic coach. I love Dan Sullivan. Yeah. Yeah, His, his entrepreneurial time system, which I've been trying to follow for years and years and years. And, um, the other thing I think what happens is, um, although I think we're getting a little bit of a shift here is, this, this idea of retirement, you know, yeah. and so people are like, well, I got to push, I got to push, I got to push so that I can retire. And it's like, well, why don't you just set your life up so that you forget to retire? You, you, yeah. You're like, you're so happy. You just keep going. I was just, I try to work on myself every day too. And I was, and early this morning, I was listening to a, a Warren Buffett speech that he did for an MBA program. And he talks about his, uh, one of his greatest uh, purchases was this person that uh, Russian immigrant for $2,500 that she put into this business. And he later bought it in 1978 for $60 million. And she continued to work for him until she was 102 and then died at 103. And he said, see, 
retirement will kill you. And everybody was laughing about that. <laughs> so, so yeah. but uh, yeah. yeah, that is, that is uh, the thing that if we can get this idea of retirement out of people's minds and actually set their lives up to enjoy it, then I, I believe we, we would also get rid of some of that rat race kind of situation. Yeah, I, I, I'm right. In, I'm right in line with you. I believe quality is more important than quantity. I, of course, everybody wants to extend their livelihoods. And I was reading a book the other day that said the first human on Earth to live to 150 most likely has already been born because the science and technology mm-hmm. are going to extend our lives. But what's the point of the quantity if you don't have the quality, mm-hmm. right? So you know, along the lines of what you're saying, Bruce, like a lot of a lot of people I coach, they have no intention of ever retiring. Right. When you start to do what you love and you're only spending X amount of time per week doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Why would you retire? You're doing what you're passionate about. You're authentic to yourself. You're doing what you're great at, your zone of genius. When you mm-hmm. tap into that, you, you, that's why people start to fall off when they retire because they're not, they're not exercising their zone of genius, right? Mm-hmm. They, they start to, they're not exercising their brain power, their energy. And so when you're not putting that out there, of course, you start to, you know, re, you know, uh, pull back into yourself and, and you lose a lot of that power that you have. So I think it's very important that people start to realize that the more you can, again, be I, I authentic and, and with your identity and work within your zone of genius. Now, all of a sudden, these things start to create this. I, I would never want to retire. I actually mm-hmm. enjoy what I do. I solve problems for a living inside of a box that I love to solve problems in. And that's, mm-hmm. I think that's the difference. I think there's a, a leaping off point from this old mindset that I think a lot of people can get stuck in, which is that hustle and grind. I heard you say the word hustle at the beginning, so I wasn't sure where you were at on that spectrum, but sometimes feeling like, well, I just have to hustle. I just have to work harder, work harder, work more hours, make it more and more difficult. And if I want to scale and grow, I have to work more time. That is this old way of thinking that if we can drop that and leave it behind and really only focus on that quadrant of activities for ourselves that are the not urgent but very yeah. important tasks and dedicate our time towards that. Craig Ballantyne talks about that. And there's also another yeah. guy, I'm, I'm actually forgetting the name of the guy who originated that idea of that quadrant where you have your not important, urgent things that mm. often just suck and pull our time. And we get caught up in this, I've got to respond to that email. I need to put out this fire over here. And instead of delegating to a person who is best as a support member of your team to be able to handle those responsibilities so that you can then as you're talking about, focus on your your zone of genius, your highest leverage activities. But I think it can be difficult to make that leap, even when you realize, here's what I need to be focusing on. You've got to operate differently. You have to have a different mindset. You have to be willing to do things like hire a team that you might say, well, I'm not ready for that. I don't want to hire. I don't want to have that outflow. I don't want to hire that coach. I don't want to um, spend that money before I make that money. How do you help somebody really be able to cross that chasm when they recognize all the things that they should be doing, but still are held back in that old mindset? Well, you asked me two questions. So I'm going to answer the first one, right? Where did the hustle piece come from? And, and I learned the hustle piece from watching my father growing up, right? And that doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing to do. My dad's my best friend. I'm not throwing him under the bus, but you know, he, he never had anybody to teach him otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. So he just worked around the clock. It was like, you know, job to job to job. And when I, when I was with him on the weekends, we would literally go pick up fried chicken and go to a job site. And I would hang out on the job site, eat chicken and, and push a broom when I was seven years mm-hmm. old. Like that's just what I knew. And he was running his own business. He just kept hustling and, and to his benefit, he, he, he ended up being successful, but he, he has that, I just don't quit. I'm, I'm a hustler mentality. 
Um, eventually, you know, luckily I, I bought his company and I retired him and now he has that nice, you know, laid back lifestyle and he can do what he wants. But I think the challenge becomes that people get stuck in that because they don't know any better. Mm. Right. And I had that same mindset and that same grind, if you will, until I had my kind of my aha moment that, whoa, what is going on here? I'm spending too many hours each day trying to accomplish something. So when you start to pull back and focus on what's important, all of a sudden it's like the 80-20 rule, right? Pareto's law. It's 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 so effective in, in everything we do. What are the 20% of activities that are generating 80% of your income? For most people, I mean, it might not be easy to make this list. It might not be easy to admit what you're doing is not making you money, but Mm -hmm. 20% of your activities in most cases are making all of your money or most of your money. And if we can eradicate the 80% of stuff that we do that doesn't make us anything, now all of a sudden we've freed up that space Mm -hmm. to either focus more on our family and relationships and our our spouses and our kids, or look, you can double down on the 20%. Who's to say you can't do, you know, twice as much effort when you're not doing 80% of crap that's not getting you anywhere. Now, all of a sudden, that's how we start to collapse that time, right? Do things a lot faster, scale a lot faster. So that's, that's answer number one, I guess, to your hustle question, right? But the second piece when we talk, start to talk about scale is we have to learn what I call the two forms of leadership, right? The two forms of leadership are so impactful so, to so many people. And the first form is you have to learn to lead yourself, right? You, so many people have this failure of, I, I've started to try to build a team and it collapsed. I hired people and they, they you know, um, they stiffed, I'm trying not to use bad words, but you know, they, they messed up behind my back or they stole from me, or I, I trained them everything. And then they went out and started their own company, right? A lot of times this stuff happens. It's because you didn't work on leading yourself first, right? In order to be an impactful leader for a team, we have to be an impactful leader on ourselves, right? We have to control our schedule. We have to control our routines and rituals. We have to control our mindset. We have to control our attitude and how we're showing up to meetings and how we're showing up to everything in life, right? Once we control that side, now we become somebody that people want to follow, mm-hmm. right? That people want to emulate, that people want to become a part of your vision, right? Now we can cast bigger stories and bigger outcomes. And all of a sudden you get people on the bus who create a culture that you love, right? Most of the time when people don't have the culture or they can't get the people to come aboard, it's because it's, it's, it's all starting up here. Right? We're, not, we're not becoming the leaders that we need to become first to attract the talent that wants to be led. Mm, right? Real great awesome. talent needs a good vision. They need somebody to, to show them that the end game. Like, why is Elon Musk so popular? Think about this. This guy comes out and says, we're going to Mars with conviction. Right? Like, I, I guarantee you, he doesn't even, he's not even sure how this is going to happen. Right? He, you know, he's thinking to himself, I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime. But I'm, I, I tell you what, in his interviews, you believe him, right? And then he's got top scientists from around the world taking pay cuts to move to Austin, Texas to launch rockets to Mars, right? To practice because, you know, he's convinced everybody that moving off of Earth is the best thing, mm-hmm. right? Because of his vision. And so when you can work on leading yourself first, now you'll start to be able to create that traction where people want to be led and they want to be part of your ultimate mission. That is really fascinating. And I think it's interesting that. I am resonating with everything that you're sharing. I know that what you're saying is true and I feel it in my bones. It's something that I've known and I've heard many times before. And I think it's still recognizing it at an even deeper level and then recognizing that we all have the ability to improve our own self-leadership. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm, in, I'm improving every day. I, I have coaches. I, you know, like I don't, I'm just coach. Like I'm getting better every single day. I'm on the phone with my coach yesterday for two hours. Right. So I think that it's important to realize that, that learners are leaders and leaders are learners. We're constantly, all of us are constantly evolving. Nobody has it, you know, nobody has it all, all figured out. So there's multiple things that I'd love to still dig into just kind of from your background and the things that you focus on. So what is a, in your, in your term terminology and the way that you work with clients, what is a pivot and why is a pivot needed to really unlock your true potential? Yeah. So like pivots are very important, I believe, because, um, you know, you see, like in America, I believe that I believe the uh, the percentage is like sixty five percent of small businesses fail in the first three years, right? And I, I really firmly believe a lot of these reasons are people just get stuck in this is what I do and this is how I do it, and if it doesn't work out, I don't know any other way to do it, right? And Bruce really touched on this earlier, right? What do great leaders do? They learn how to take decisive action when they hit when they get hit with a roadblock or an obstacle or a speed bump, right? You know, you got to figure out how to go around that thing, under it, through it, whatever you have to do to fix it. But the, the good news is for most business owners is obstacles are, are the adversity that a lot of times will actually plant the seed of opportunity for you, right? Like when COVID was, was first, you know, announced and everyone was getting ready to go, you know, clamber back to their houses and we're going to virtual, right? Uh, most entrepreneurs immediately recognize the opportunity, Right. You know, a lot of business owners, of course, if you had a restaurant, like certain restrictions where you just couldn't pivot, right? It makes sense if you had a hard time, but there's a lot of businesses that went, well, this is an opportunity, right? Maybe I've been thinking about going virtual for a while. I could, I could downsize my overhead. I could reduce my office space. I can give more fluidity to my, to my, uh, my team and let them work from home. And, you know, now all of a sudden Zoom, you know, so like Mm -hmm. for a lot of companies, you saw a lot of companies 3X their revenue in 18 months. Right. And, and you say to yourself, why? Well, maybe it was government programs. Get out of here. Right. PPP loans were not 3X in people's revenue. Right. It was the, it was the ability of really strong leaders to step up and say, you know what? I got a problem. Let me solve it. And sometimes we need these added adversities to actually help us course correct to do the things that we ought to, should have been doing all along. Right. Maybe that's the way we should have been operating, but things have been too smooth, too comfortable, too easy. So it takes that like, you know, big, hey, now you got to shut your business down to go, oh, crap, maybe there's a better way to do this. And now all of a sudden, efficiencies start to peek through. You mm-hmm. know, remember that seeds of adversity can become opportunity for us a lot of times. So I think that um, for course correction, it's, is it, an, is it a distraction or an opportunity is probably the biggest challenge that most leaders have to deal with because, you know, once they start making money, they have all kinds of opportunities. But, you know, there is times when a pivot is going to make a better outcome for you. There's so many directions I want to go with that. Um, one, you said great leaders have the great challenge of figuring out, is this a distraction or an opportunity? I think that mm-hmm. really comes down to being very clear on what your objective is and what 100%. your goal is and where your vision yeah. lies and not yeah. letting go of that. But I'm going to ask you a question from born out of my personal experience that I'm sure others mm-hmm. can relate to as well. On the Colby index, yeah. I'm, are you familiar with Colby? Very. I'm a quick start. It's my greatest yeah, so strength. And it's also a greatest weakness because yeah. I can tend to look at everything as this is a great opportunity. This is a great strategy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should do it like this person. Oh, I should try this. I should do this. 
oh, I can do this instead. And I can, so it's easy for me instead of following through with something that I had set in motion to say, well, maybe there's a better way and second guess that or leave it all behind and then go start something new or a new strategy to accomplish the same goal. How do you, as a quick start then, and to a fellow quick start, and I'm sure that there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are as well, how do you have that internal compass that really helps pull you back to your vision, doing the best, most high leverage strategies for yourself, not just what maybe somebody else or 15 or 17 or a thousand other gurus are saying is the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, my favorite, my favorite activity as a quick start is, is a journal. Like, I don't know, you know, a lot of people think this journal thing is like, is like, uh, like hippie stuff. Like that's crazy. Why would I journal? Why would I write in a journal? But I, I think that first of all, um, you know, most visionaries, most quick starts, most, you know, big idea people, uh, there's certain places like you have your big idea. Mine's usually like in the shower or when I'm driving, I have my big idea, right? So I'll immediately write the idea down. The biggest challenge that most of us have is not sharing that idea immediately with the entire team, right? Like years mm. ago, when I had the culture I didn't love, I had a productive team. But what I would do is I would say, okay, we wholesale houses. I think we should build apartments. And I would just come up with the idea, run into the office and shout it out. Hey, guys, we're all going to build apartments now. And my entire team would go like, we don't, we don't do that. What are you talking about? We're not built for that. Like who, who's going to do that? Right. So one of the things, and I actually don't remember where I learned this, this, this activity, I, I believe it was from rocket fuel, um, which is kind of an add on to traction. I think that's where I learned it, but I don't want to quote it there. Anyway, what I do is I do a mini like SWOT analysis on myself, on my ideas. Right. And a, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll sit back and I'll say, okay, I have a great idea. Let me journal on it how many resources is it going to take to make this idea happen, right? If I implement it in my team, how many people, how long is it going to take? How much money do I have to invest? How long is it going to take for it to put on the timeline? In other words, to like start, execute, and then actually start making revenue, right? With the resources that I've now taken away from my team, what's the loss factor, right? Because you can't have one without another. And I think a lot of visionaries miss this. They think, I'll just add this on, I'll add this on. But you're taking away effectively the actions of what's going on right now in your, in your unless you're adding more people, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times we have this team, we throw more stuff at them. Their efficiencies are going down when we give them new ideas. And we, and we think, we think, oh, great new idea. Let's move and execute, right? And so what's happening is we're, we're, we're fragmenting the communication because they're like an assembly line. A good team just wants to know exactly what they're supposed to do go in there, execute on it, and boom, 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 pump out the cars at the end of the assembly line, right? And then as a visionary, what do we say? We wake up one day and we're like, hey, I build cars. Why shouldn't we build airplanes, right? (laughs) Go do it, guys. Let's build airplanes. And then they they look up at you and they're like, we don't know anything about airplanes. Like we build cars, dude. Like just because I have an assembly line doesn't mean I can spit out airplanes, right? And so again, going back to this, what's the resources? What are the tools? What's the equipment? And then um, I love to have a sounding board. Right. So for a long time, uh, I did this with my, my then COO, now business partner. I would actually do this little one sheet analysis and then I would give it to him. And I would say, hey, this is something I'm thinking is an interesting idea. I think we should implement it. And he would have the ability to say yes, no, or let's put it on the long term. Right. This is something that's a great idea. I want to execute on it. Let's add it to the division. It's going gonna, it's gonna to enhance the business. Or dude, you're nuts. This has nothing to do with what we do. I don't have a team for this. I don't have resources. I don't have people. Or I love the idea, but we're just not ready for it right now. We're going to need to hire some more people. I think we can do this in six months. Let me put it on the long, long-term ideas list. And what this does for a quick start 
is it allows us to compartmentalize all of our big ideas. It's like we have that resource to put it out there and then we get a little bit of feedback. And a lot of times what happens when you sit on your own ideas? When I do my own analysis of my own ideas sometimes, 15 minutes later, I'm like, that idea wasn't, it was way better in the shower, right? Uh -huh. when, I, when I was washing my hair, that idea sounded a whole lot better, right? Until I started getting into the nitty gritty and then it's like, okay, well, maybe that wasn't such a great idea. So. Um, at this level, I kind of do it in my journal and I don't even pass it off to Brian. Um, but a lot of times if I do have a great idea in my journal, I'll take that and I'll send it to him and say, hey, here's the next great idea. What do you think? And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll use him as a sounding board. Ah, thank you for sharing that so personally and really what you're executing on and how you're handling that. That was uh, really fabulous. So um, let's go to uh, another piece that you share regularly. So what does it mean? To put aces in their places. I, I'm going to put a little bit of commentary here first because yeah, we've talked with, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of her, Dr. Sabrina Starling. Um, she's written a book called The Four Week Vacation. She just published and she is through, she writes through the Profit First label under Mike McCallowitz. Okay. And so nice. she also does a lot of work with helping people develop the right team and hire the A players in their team. So I think we all know, I mean, you can go back to Vern Harnish as well and all the work that he does talking about how you build a successful business. And when you look at hiring the right talent, you also mentioned self-leadership earlier. How do you, with the right big picture and small picture perspective, how do you find the right people and put them in the right place so that you can move your vision forward? Yeah, no, I love that, um, and I love Mike. I, I I know Mike, and I love his books. But uh, I think the um, I think the important thing for me has always been at the end game is how do I create a culture? You know, going back to this journal for years and years, when I shifted between the culture I I built that I wasn't really in love with, I had great people back then, but I was a bad leader, right? So I built this big team, and I didn't like the culture I had created. And and looking back on it, it was because I never took one hundred percent responsibility for who I was as a leader. So when I had the chance to redo it and reset it and build the storage business, I said to myself, I'm only going to hire A players. I'm going to be stringent about this. I don't care if I have less people than I need as long as I'm building the team with the right people and I'll do it slowly over time. Because you know, a lot of times, let's face it, when you start making money, you make bad decisions. You think you can just hire people, put them in a seat to solve a problem. And inevitably, you wake up and you're like, there's 20 more people here than I, than I remember hiring and I don't even know their names. Right. And that in itself makes you a bad leader. Mm. Right. If you, if you don't understand your people, you don't understand their expectations, you don't understand what drives them, you don't understand their outcome. You talk about Colby. Right. I want to know their disc. I want to know their Colby. I want to know how they communicate. I want to know what they like. I want to know what they don't like. I want to know what drives them. Some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by outcomes. Some people are motivated by significance. Right. So understanding what it is that drives my team so that I can help them get more of what they want. Right. So I think that the first big shift for me was the, was the focus between um, getting my outcome to now I actually care more about my team's outcome. And I know that kind of sounds cliche, but it really is true. When I'm, mm -hmm. when I'm putting a person in a seat, what I want to figure out is how can I create for them the same type of legacy? Right. How can I create for them a program that allows them to perform more and make more? Right. So most of my teams have a base salary and some sort of bonus incentive for doing things. Right. Because what's what fun is it to just have a salary? Right. And no matter how hard you work, it doesn't change. Once a year, you get a review and you get an extra 4%. That's not fun for anybody. Right. I wanted to create an engaged um, um, 
culture where the harder people work, the more that we all make together, right? So I think looping people into the big picture is also an, an important factor, but that plays along with the vision, right? Because when I'm casting the vision, now they're looking at the vision, they're saying, okay, the closer we get to Joe's vision, the more we all make, mm-hmm. right? We're all tied in. So um, I think along, along those lines is making sure people understand what part that they bring to the, the greater picture and, understand, and, and making sure that they're tracking themselves that way. Um, but I think probably the most important part is this. I want people, just like when I coach people, being their authentic and true and, and, and being true to their identity, I want people who are going, like, if you were going to get paid to do what you're exceptional at, right? Every human being on earth is exceptional at something. You are literally a genius at something, right? So when I hire people, I, I tend not to look at the resume. Right. I want to know them first. I want to find out what drives them. I want to see what's in the, you know, how much ambition they have. And then I want to know what their hobbies are. Like, what do you, what are you really good at? Right. And then what would imagine a world where you got paid to do what you were great at? Right. The fact is, when people do what they're really good at, they work, they work 10 times faster, more efficient and happier and passionate about what they're great at. When they start doing things they're not great at, their efficiency goes to 50 or less. Right. So what you don't want is people in seats that are doing things that they're not good at because they're getting paid a paycheck, right? I don't want people saying, oh man, is it Friday yet? No one on my team, I can guarantee you this right now, asks if it's Friday, right? They don't even know what day of the week it is. They don't care because they're all doing it all day, every day, right? And and it doesn't mean, by the way, that they're working 18 hours a day because in our culture, I'm teaching and coaching them to be just like my clients, right? I want them going to kids' soccer games. I want them to be home for dinner. I want them dating their wives and their spouses, right? I want them being good people because mm-hmm. holistically good people are going to be better performers at work, right? So when they enjoy their, their work life, they enjoy their home life, they start to build wealth, they start to work on their long-term vision, they start to create themselves as good leaders. This actually all falls into what we call great leaders create great leaders, mm-hmm. right? I don't want to create a great leader out of somebody unless they're going to implement the practices and the coaching I teach them. But not only that, teach somebody below them, mm-hmm. right? And the whole concept is that it's just like a, I wrote a book called Multiplicity. And this is the concept, the multiplication effect of what a few good leaders can do to the mass. Mm-hmm. It's the, uh, I, I don't know who said it, but it's like they, they say, well, I don't want to train my people to well, because they may leave. And then the person said, well, the problem is if you don't train them, they're going to stay. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's, that's a so big, true. and that's a bigger problem. You know, uh, it's, I have a basic philosophy and, and sometimes, you know, I don't know where I come up with these things. Sometimes I, I might've heard it from some, sometimes it may have come in the shower, like you said, but I don't believe in work-life balance. And, and people are like, that doesn't make any sense. You have to have, no, I just believe in life. You know, yes. so there shouldn't be your work and your and your life. There should just be life. When you set it exactly. up like that, that is the perfect way to live your life. One hundred percent, Bruce. I couldn't agree more. I mean, in our business, we're we're very much kind of set up like Google. There's no hours. There's no vacation. There's no there's no requirements. The requirement is that you do your job. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't need you don't need to tell us that you're giving uh you know two weeks notice to go on vacation. Go on vacation. Yeah. As long as you have your, your your position covered or, hey, you need to check in once or twice from Mexico, then do that, right? But there's no vacation. You could take three weeks vacation every month. I don't care. Do what you have to do to get your job done and enjoy it, right? Enjoy your life. It goes back to that why wait until we're 65 to retire thing, 
right? I want people to have a full life now. Yes. I mean, I literally teach them, you know, again, time management, wealth management, you know, again, relationships, communication. I'm giving them everything I have because, like you said, Bruce, they're going to leave you. But I guess, guess what? My people, most of them will never leave us because of the culture of the coaching and teaching. I mean, we're giving them everything, right? So even when they have a bad day, they're like, man, I've never been in an environment that teaches me this much. You know, that's it's, excellent. It's, a piece that, you know. it's interesting that there's a lot of parallels to building a multi-generational family. I need to set this up a little bit to help you understand why I'm even talking about this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I am getting ready to release a book called Seven Generations, Building a Multi-Generational Family or Multi-Generational Legacy of More Than Money. And the reason that this book has come about, I nearly died about two and a half years ago. And that experience helped me realize the gravity of my own life and everyone else's life. If you are here, you have a one breath, that is a gift. We're meant to use that to our fullest. And how do we then build a strong family how do we create generational wealth, but how do we create the character in the next generation so that they can teach the next generation, they can teach the next generation. So it's thinking of a family as an enterprise, as a multi-generational enterprise. It's thinking about it as a business as well. And what I love that you're talking about is you're coaching your team, you're coaching your employees. And you mentioned multiplicity. I love that word, which is, I don't know if you made it up, but it's a, it's an amazing word that the idea of the shower. Nice. I love it. But you have this, this ability to impact the people that are right in your periphery and they impact the next people and they impact the next. And it continues over time, but also over space. I mean, you will not be able to have relationship with some of the people that they have relationship with. So it creates this ripple effect where your impact is tremendously magnified because you chose to give everything to the people who were in your inner circle. And I think that's just a beautiful way of thinking about building families as well. Um, I wanted to mention, so the one of the gentlemen who wrote a series of books, his name is Keith Whitaker. He wrote them in partnership with James Hughes, who was an attorney. They help coach families. And there's a book called The Voice of the Rising Generation. There's a, a real specific reason I'm bringing this in. So he talks mm-hmm. about often what can happen is you have this first generation, this founding dream, and the next generation is just supposed to follow that dream and focus on the, the leadership and the legacy that the first person is making happen. And he said, what happens is they can become silent and almost voiceless. What needs to happen is we need to recognize that those next generation children have dreams of their own and we need to f- help them create their legacy. And it's exactly what you just shared. You're not saying, hey, team, build my legacy. You're saying, hey, team, how can I help you build your legacy? And by doing that, you're now focusing on creating a multi-step legacy through your team that could not be done any other way. And I really want someone to hear that, whether you're building a family or a business or probably both, this concept is extremely powerful. Yeah, I appreciate that. We, I mean, we actually call the storage company Legacy Developers, and it's because it has nothing to do with me. I mean, my team could could run without me, and that's the point, right? And it's about them building for themselves along the way. Every time we buy a deal, every time we sell a deal, every time we construct a new deal, they're all, they have a piece of it, and it, and it's it's them building for their families along the way. My job is just to cast a big vision and coach them along the way. 
right? I don't, I mean, aside from signing bank documents, I really don't do a whole lot inside that business. I'm their coach. That's what I do. And so one day my goal is, and I'm the CEO, but my goal is one day, one of them steps up and replaces me. I tell them all the time, fire me, right? Take my job. I'll be the, I'll be the chairman. I'll sit on the sidelines, right? But the whole goal is that you guys build this thing up to make, make it your legacy. That's the whole, that's the whole concept of the business. So I, I'm right in that's line with what beautiful. you're talking about. That's beautiful. And John Maxwell would also say, create leaders so that you work yourself out of a job because they're able to take over those responsibilities, which again, goes back to what Bruce also brought up the idea that, well, if you don't develop people because you're afraid of them leaving you, you're not truly walking in your best leadership. So yeah, this is, this is excellent. So um, Joe, why is it critical, you call it paramount even, to mm-hmm. develop a winning culture in your business. I think you're telling us about how you have a winning yeah. culture, but why is it so critical for any business owner listening today to develop a winning culture? You know, I think everything that we just said leading up to this point, right, is that people are all in the bus and the bus and, or the boat is rowing in the right direction, right? When people are all in the right direction, want the same thing, and they're all driving towards the same goal, you don't have to worry about profitability. You don't have to, not that you don't have to worry about it so much, but everybody needs it. Everybody wants it. Everybody's driven towards it. And I find so many business owners, especially especially small business owners, they feel like they're carrying the weight of all of that on their shoulder. And they're like driving the team to create success, right? And in this type of culture, it's the opposite. The team is driving the culture. The team is driving the success. The team is pushing the profitability. They're, they're asking, can we do more deals? Can we go after more? Like, how do we build it up, right? And so I think when you build this leadership culture, they start to push you up, right? Instead of trying to hold you down. So many business owners mm-hmm. feel like they're being pulled down by their team, right? And again, it goes back to those two forms of leadership. If you feel like your team is holding you down, that might be a reflection of self-leadership, mm-hmm. right? And if you feel like your team is rising you up, it actually makes you a better leader. Like I have to step up every day and be the person I need to be to help lead them, right? I can't, I can't sit on my couch and do nothing all day long and expect them to go out there and perform the way that they perform, right? So it's like this, this awesome counterbalance that when you have a great culture and you've worked hard to build it, and now you become the leader to it, they're actually going to prop you up, right? The, the, the money easily follows when you, focus, when you focus on the people and you focus on helping them get holistic results in their life. Mm. I love that. And I love the idea of focusing on the team. That's always been my primary objective. I, I take this all the way back before entrepreneurship. I was working at Target in management and I just loved seeing the team grow. I love seeing the individual uniqueness of that one team member and helping them to maximize their leadership in whatever that area was. And yeah, the operations, I feel, take care of themselves when the team has the right training and the resources and the tools and they feel confident in the direction they're supposed to go and they know what they're supposed to be doing. So that's excellent. What would you say are some tips that you specifically have to help our audience, our tribe of business owners who are creating a business that will last, that also will help them to build a business and a life that they love because we believe in holistic living as well and having all of those things that most people save until retirement, having those things now, having the cash flow now, having the freedom now, having the possibility and the wonderful life now. How do you yeah. help 
people become fearless? Well, the number one thing there is where, where does the fear, we started talking about this earlier, but where does the fear originate? It usually is part of self-doubt. It's part of, I'm not good enough. It's part of, I'm not sure if I can do this. And then, so it resonates from within. So the first thing we have to tackle is what is the mindset? What are the limiting beliefs? What is, what is your glass ceiling, right? What are the obstacles that are holding you back from success? And we have to reset that mindset. For a lot of us, it's 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 locked into past experiences or past failures, right? Like I tried something once and it didn't work. Again, the peak performers keep trying until it works, mm-hmm. right? So just literally making that shift so that we know that, hey, we got to keep course correcting until we get it right, right? Um, Les Brown has this great uh, quote, as, is anything worth, uh, what does he say? He says, anything worth doing right is worth doing wrong, right? So, I think you know, I've heard that. if I'm... You know, if I'm going to go out and, 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 and try to perfect the process, you're not going to get it right the first time, right? I have to keep trying that process until it gets right. But it, once I get the process right, now it's a system. Now it's something I can implement. Now it's easy to repeat, right? But no, no process starts out right. Think about, you know, the, the iPod when it was released, you know, for those, I don't know about your listeners, how old they are, but, you know, when the iPod came out, Steve Jobs stood up and he was like, a thousand songs fit on this thing, right? And now, you know, 10 years later, 10,000, 100,000 songs fit on your iPhone. You don't even need a separate device, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't perfect when it came out. It was just an MP3 player, right? In fact, every, every other companies had better MP3 players when it came out, right? So you don't have to get it right. You just have to get it going. And so getting over that fear of failure is just a matter of just taking action in the right direction, knowing that after a few speed bumps, I'll be able to course correct and get this thing right. That's that's powerful. and. I think powerful for anyone. I love the idea of just taking action. I think that's something that if we are stuck in fear, we can't make any action, then we can't get the feedback. We can't figure out if it works or doesn't work. And then you're just stuck. So taking that action then kind of breaks you out of there. But I really love that you brought that back to the mindset as well. And I think we all can get stuck in that position of, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not good enough. I can't do this but recognizing that self-talk is the first yeah. step to being able to break free from that. Yeah. And all those statements are fear-based, right? That those are all mm-hmm. modalities of fear. You know, it's something that's keeping you stuck and recognizing that it's just fear and it's not a physical, you know, nobody's holding you back physically. Nobody's telling you you shouldn't do it. Like just go after it, just do it. Right. There's yeah, one, no- one of the things that I think with not trying to get into, you know, current events, but, most people are fearful of things they have heard. They're not fearful of things they've experienced. So true. And, and uh, if we could help people recognize that you're fearful of that because of something that you believe, because you've heard it, is it really true in your situation? We talk about this all the time. It drives me crazy as an investment advisor when a person says, well, why am I only getting this amount of return when my next door, I call it the cocktail circuit syndrome. When my next door neighbor got X amount last last year, and I'm like, well, you know, how much how much uh, risk were they taking? Uh, how much were they paying in taxes in that particular amount? You know, so it's yeah. it's about what you've heard, not what you've actually experienced. And when you can get people out of 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 that fear of what they've heard and get them back into their own experiences, I think that's when they can move forward. 
you know, Bruce, you hit the nail on the head and I've been coaching on this on for years, but the Dan Sullivan and I forget the co-author just did a book called the gap in the game. Yes. And I mean, they nailed it talking about this, right. You know, the gap is what you see everyone else having, right. Is like, Oh, well they got 3% more return on their investment. why did they get 3% more instead of looking at the game, which is what, what did you make as opposed right. to what you made last year or the six months prior to that? And so when we focus on our own gains and we stay in our own lane, again, it goes back to that identity statement, that authenticity, right? You're going to be a whole lot happier focusing on who you are than comparing yourself to somebody else and trying to be somebody else because everyone else has different life conditions, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have different, like you said, taxation. What do they need to do with the money? Why is the money in, pro- in movement right now anyway? Are they trying to avoid you know, at uh, the end of the year, right? Is it a 1031? There's a million reasons why people make different investments, right. but you're only going to get upset when you compare yourself to somebody else. Compare yourself right. to your own gains and you're going to realize you probably made a lot more gains than you than you really believe. Absolutely. And to talk about Dan Sullivan one last time, he talks about measuring your progress by looking backwards. We did an episode on this probably, I don't even know, mm-hmm. about three, three and a half years ago, Bruce. And it's amazing that if instead of looking at everyone else, which I have no idea why that human tendency feels so normal and so natural and feels like the thing we have to do. But if instead Mm -hmm. we can close off that comparison to everyone else and just look at where we've come from, looking back at the huge milestones, the huge progress that you're not the same person you were last year, last five months, even last 10 years and, and figuring out how can you accelerate that growth that you've had in the last 10 years, in the next 10 years. And if you see that on the exponential curve, we all have huge potential in front of us. It's incredible. I, I actually, you're, you're spot on. I say this all the time. Reflection is such a big piece of it. If you can look in the mirror and you recognize the person from six months ago, you're probably doing it wrong, mm. right? Every six months, peak performers are completely changing their identity, their state, their story, their ability, their their outcomes. And it's because they're constantly, you know, in the growth mode, right? They're constantly in growth. They're making the next thing happen. They're learning more things. And so six months ago, I wasn't the person that I am today, right? And so when you can look in the mirror and say, man, I've been doing the same thing, getting the same results for five years, maybe it's time for a reset. Maybe it's time to do something differently, right? And if, especially if you're not happy, if you're happy, well, then, hey, five years is fine. You do the same thing over and over again. You get the same results and you're good with it. That's fine. But you know, if you're not, there might be a reason for that. Joe, this has been a tremendous conversation today. Thank you for stepping in authentically. Can you let our listeners know how they can get a hold of you, how they can connect with you, find out more about your coaching, find out what you're up to on the investing side, get a hold of your book? How do they connect yep. with you? Yeah, they can find most information at uh, our website. It's legacybuilder.coach, not .com, .coach, legacybuilder.coach. Um, there's a lot of free resources on our blog, and there's a lot of free downloads and how to build up your next year and all kinds of stuff like that. But uh, more importantly, they can also schedule a call with me. I love talking to people. I love you know spending 15 minutes trying to figure out what you got going on, what obstacles might be in your way, and, and really see you know um, if, if coaching is a good fit for you. If it's not, that's that's fine too. I love helping people solve problems. So you know, we have, we have coach clients that are doctors, attorneys, insurance brokers, all walks of life. They're generally business owners or real estate investors or business owners who want to be real estate investors. Um, you know, so you know, I'm happy to spend some time on the call, you know, just getting to know people. It's, uh, it's, it's fun for me to just, uh, you know, make new friends. That's excellent. Well, thank you. And if you are listening today, 
or if you're listening after this conversation, go to legacybuilder.coach and go ahead and connect with Joe. So this has been a fabulous conversation. I think we've covered a lot of ground, given a lot of insights for somebody to really take and process and make forward traction in their own life. So thank you so much, Joe, for being with us today. Absolutely. We had a ton of fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Joe. Absolutely. Well, in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.